everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. Lee, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call today. How are you? I'm great, and I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. We're going to have some fun, aren't we? Absolutely. So I want to get to know Lee, little Lee, right? Yes, yes. When you were a child, where did you grow up? Who would you say was your biggest influences when you were a young, young girl? Yes. So when I was little, actually, my family used to call me Lily. So every oh. time I think about little Lee, I, I think about Lily. Um, so I grew up in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. Mm. And um, I had two younger, still have two, two younger brothers. I grew up with both parents. And I would say really the person, there, there were two people in my life that were kind of really influential throughout my childhood. Um, not to minimize all of the wonderfully supportive adults I had in my life. I feel really lucky, actually. Um, but the two that really stand out are my father and my neighbor, who was like mm. a second mom to me. Um, my my dad is just the wisest person I know. He has this quiet strength about him. And whenever I was facing something really challenging, he was my go-to person. And he always provided me with such sage counsel. Mm. And then my neighbor growing up, um, and I still have a relationship with her today. She's retired, but she was a school psychologist for mm. a long time. And one of my first introductions to the world of psychology and therapy, which really set me on a trajectory in my, mm. in my life and my career. So I'm really grateful to all of the adults uh, in my life who supported me, but especially to my dad and, and my neighbor, my second mom. I love how you you talk about your dad and how you said he's a sage, you know, when, yeah. when we think about people in our lives and, it, you know, like you're lucky that it was your dad, right? Someone you had a close connection with, but not everybody's that lucky. Some people, they have to go way outside their home to find someone. That's very but, true. And, and I also, I don't want to minimize the impact that my mother had in my of life. Not. <laughs> um, but I will say she and I definitely clashed as I was mm. growing up. Um, it was much later in life, probably in my 20s, before I really started to see my mom as a human being and not just my mom, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that allowed us to develop a friendship as adults. And now I consider her to be one of my closest friends, but it definitely took us a lot longer to get to that point. Um, mm. And that's how it goes sometimes. It does. It does. And so many kids or even parents drive themselves crazy because they don't find that connection. There's that, that I guess, static, if you will, right? That yes. can happen. 
and it's because you didn't see her <laughs> you just saw her in one 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 phase just that's just mom right that's exactly right yeah and then your neighbor next door right mm -hmm. so let, let's talk about how you said she influenced you and your trage trajectory in your life and, and what you've done because you went into that field of helping people and was it just her influence or was it your your liking of helping people I think it was a variety of factors. Yeah. Uh, certainly, ever since I was young, I did enjoy helping others. I remember when my youngest brother was born, I was five years old, almost almost five and a half. Mm -hmm. And so I got to be a part of, you know, taking care of this baby and helping my mom. And, and I really enjoyed that. And as I grew up, I found other ways of finding pleasure in serving others. Um, now, there's a shadow side to that, right. which I'm right. sure we'll get to later. But uh, as a child, I got a lot of satisfaction out of being the helper. And so certainly being in contact with my neighbor, Kathy mm -hmm. is her name, mm -hmm. uh, and Kathy showing me what was possible in terms of how we could support and help people professionally, that was eye-opening. She was also a really important figure in my life when I was a teenager. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I went through a really rough patch. It was, uh, it was my first experience with depression mm. and with, uh, with anxiety. I wound up working with my own therapist for a period of time to help navigate that situation. Um, she referred me to him. And that experience, too, showed me what was possible, that the impact one person could have on someone else's life and to bring them from the state of despair and agony into feeling like themselves again. Mm -hmm. Having had that experience as a client, I was like, oh, I want yeah. to do this, too. I, I, want, I want to be able to support people so deeply. Uh, and that, that's really when my interest in psychology and, and therapy started. So understanding that people behave differently based on circumstances, based on those people around them, right? What was it that really triggered you to say, I can help this one? This, this is some, I got this. Yes. What was that for you? Well, I think number one, it was having a value of service. And mm. even to this day, one of my core values is service of, of serving others. And there was also a moment in my life where I realized that this was a natural strength that I had, even a gift, mm. that people would open up to me. People would tell me their stories. Uh, it, it still happens too. I mean, I'll be in line at the grocery store and <sighs> the stranger behind me, as we're unloading our groceries, like they'll tell me their life story. Uh, and my, my husband and my mother look at me in awe because that doesn't happen to them, uh, but it happens to me. <laughs> so whatever it is about me, I think I just kind of exude this quality of tell me your story. I will hold mm. it for you. I will keep it safe. I will mm. honor it. And so once I realized that I had that natural ability to connect with others mm. and to make them feel safe and heard, coupled with my fascination with 
psychology and the study of human behavior and why we do the things we do and what mm -hmm. makes us tick. All of those things together really kind of showed me you can make a living out of helping people. Uh, and so initially, you know, in the 90s, I saw that as psychology and therapy, and I had a, a wonderful career there. And then later in my life, about seven years ago is when I transitioned from psychology and therapy into coaching. And I feel really fortunate I've been able to bring a lot of that experience with me um, because they are related, certainly. But I really credit my early experiences with uh, with psychology as kind of setting me on the right right path. Wow. wow. I, I love the fact that people can, even at the grocery store, can say, hey, you know what? This is a person that's trustworthy, right? That I can tell them something. I can open up. And I, I think you can see it in a person, right? You have this aura about you that people go, comfort, comfort, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and it's no not judgmental. Because when yeah. somebody's being judged, they, they're, they're going to clam up a little bit, right? That's right. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciate actually what you said about having that aura. Um, mm -hmm. That's such a compliment. And, and I thank you for that. And I will say that it is a blessing and a curse. Mm. And over the years, I've had to learn how to modulate that because there are times where maybe I'm not fully equipped to receive someone's story or sometimes even it's unwanted. Like we're in a place and I'm like, oh, I really don't want to be in this mode right now. I really want to <laughs> focus on my kids or whatever's going on. Right. Um, so I've had to learn over the years how to create boundaries. And those boundaries are flexible in the mm. sense that I can decide when to extend them, when to bring them back in, um, when I want them to be a little permeable. I retain control of that, but the boundary has to be in place so that I'm not constantly feeling like, okay, I have to show up, I have to give, I have to focus on other people. It is okay to focus on yourself and to set those boundaries so that you are restoring your own energy so that you can give again in, mm. the, in the future. Right. Well, you know, I believe strongly in working on us first. Mm, right? Absolutely. Being, being that, that little bit of selfish, if you will. And a lot of people are like, oh, you're so selfish. You're selfish if you're in front of other people and all, you only care about yourself. But in order to help other people, you need to have that selfishness. You need to take care of you first, right? And one of the things that for me... It's that meditation, that alone time where I can grow as an individual, me reading, understanding what I'm going to bring into the world. I think that's that's part of of also understanding that concept of that selfishness. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. And it's so important that each person, each coach figures out what it is that replenishes that their energy whether it is taking time away and reading and investing in your own personal care. That, that's kind of mine as well. Right. I know for some people, though, they recharge their batteries by being more social and mm. by connecting with other people. And right. so it, I think it really is about exploring what works for you and then making sure that you incorporate that into your life. Because you are right. If we don't take that time to be a little selfish, to replenish our energy stores, if 
if we keep draining and draining and draining them, then we're going to get to the point where we have nothing left to give. And that is like a fast track to burnout. So I agree with you 100% that restoring our energy and finding ways to do that, that really feel good and serve us is vital. Mm, yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize how we need to have that time, right? That, that mm -hmm. time for, for us and the time for other people. Because there is that time that, you know, everyone is going to want to pull at you. And you need to go, whoa, chill, right? You need to mm -hmm. push back and say, maybe not right now. Maybe I need a breather. I need to, to find out how I can help you. Because yeah. if I'm not present, then I can't help you anyway. That's right. And I know that that can be a challenge. I know for me, uh, I, I'm definitely a recovering people pleaser. And so the thought <laughs> of, uh, of setting a boundary and saying, no, I can't show up mm -hmm. for you right now right. felt terrible. It felt like I was letting people down. And then I realized that the people in my life who are, who mean the most to me, ideally these relationships should be reciprocal. They should be mm -hmm. mutual. It's not just about me showing up for them, but it's okay to allow them to show up for me. Mm -hmm. And so to set a boundary and say, I really need either time alone, or actually I really need someone to talk to. Can you be that person for me? I'm allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. And if people are upset by my boundaries, or if they're upset when I ask uh, for their time or their energy, if that is a problem for them, then that is a problem for the relationship. And then I need to go back and reevaluate, okay, is this someone where I want them in my life in this context, or do right. I need to maybe rethink this relationship? Mm, yeah, without a doubt. You know, you were a social worker, right? Mm -hmm. And I've known plenty of social workers and they are not compensated enough for the work that they do. And I know True. that for a fact. Yeah. Um, because the social workers I've known, they go above and beyond the call of duty because all of a sudden they take, they take a client on almost like family, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's so heartbreaking when, when you see something and somebody, I know because my sister helped a social worker who could barely afford a place to live. So my sister took her in, gave her a place to, to live. And this girl worked all the time and she could barely afford a place to live. We live in New York. So can you imagine she's here helping so many people? She couldn't help herself. Yeah. Which is horrible. It is. I, I I remember being a young social worker. I had my master's in social work and my master's of science and public health. So I had two master's degrees. Mm. I was halfway to being independently licensed. So I'd had several years of experience under my belt. I was working for a hospital in their inpatient psychiatric unit. So a very high stress environment, making $13.85 an hour. Wow. So that averages out to something like $27,000, $28,000 a year, maybe. Two master's degrees, tons of experience. And 
you know, granted, this was in like 2005, 2006. So we do need to account for inflation. But right. even still, that's not a lot of money for someone with that level of education and skills. And that's also not abnormal uh, in the social work field. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I, I love social work. I still consider myself a social worker, even though I'm not practicing in that field right, anymore. Right. And I also believe that social workers uh, and mental health professionals in general bring such wisdom and, and, and a heart for service. And they really do deserve to be compensated better than they are. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, so w when we think about so many people that go into that, profession it's because they have a passion for helping people and when they're not compensated and they're living below their own means but they're still showing up they're still showing love they come with an open heart and not to be recognized by the the state the hospital wherever it is they're working right and a lot of people are working for the government if you will right mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, social workers are usually government uh, employees, if you will, right? Some are. Mm -hmm. uh, no, yes, some are. Some are hospitals and some are, you know, clinics and so forth. But it's, it's just such a shame when I see what I see, you know. Yeah, and I would say, too, we have to look at how this idea shows up in the social constructs that we've created. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the social work profession, and certainly when I was in school to become a social worker in my graduate program, there was this expectation that social workers shouldn't be in it for the money. We shouldn't expect to be paid well. Mm. Um, if you're focusing on the money, then you're focusing on the wrong things. And so there was a lot of money shame kind mm. of built into the culture of social work. And then that's reinforced by systems and structures, whether governmental or healthcare or mental mm. health or insurance companies. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about that. But then they also don't compensate fairly either. And then we're taught to just kind of expect it because that it is what it is. Mm. So there's a lot of money messaging and money mindset stuff that affects social workers. Yes, I would I would wager other careers as well. Oh, yeah. um, and that just gets reinforced in, in the systems that we've created in our society. Yeah, yeah. Well, you went from being a social worker. You left that. I did. Why? I did. Why? Well, it was 2015, and my husband had just gotten out of the Air Force. We had been living in Germany for four years where he was stationed, and we were moving back to the United States. Uh, my two kids had essentially grown up in Europe. Mm. In fact, my youngest didn't even remember living in the States because <sighs> he was two when we moved. Okay. So I knew that we had a massive transition in front of us. Mm. Uh, we were moving back to the States. My husband was leaving the military, and not only was he entering the civilian world, he also purchased a dental practice because he's a periodontist by training. Mm. And so now we were entering the world of small business where both of us had limited exposure to it. So I took some time off from mental health and from social work to help my family navigate this transition. Mm. And it was about nine months in where I started getting the itch to return to some sort of professional work. Mm -hmm. And I also knew in my gut that I was supposed to find something outside of the traditional mental health 
space. And I didn't really know what that was at first. And it was actually very scary because I had spent most of my life either wanting to be a therapist, working towards becoming a social worker and then a therapist, having a career as a therapist. I'd really built my identity around this. And so to be at this stage in my life where I realized this isn't for me anymore, it really required me to do a lot of deep work, a lot of soul searching. Mm. Uh, and while I was doing this, my husband's, you know, got this dental practice and he's <sighs> learning not just how to be a clinician. I mean, he's an extraordinary clinician, but he had to learn how to be a business owner mm. and how to handle all that comes with it, payroll and HR and supplies and all of that. Mm. And I remember thinking, man, wouldn't it be amazing if there were someone who could support my husband in this process, almost like a therapist for your business. Uh, and that led me into doing some research. And that's what drew me into coaching and business coaching in particular. And I started to put the pieces together. And I thought, I think I could do this. You know, I've mm. spent the last nine months helping my husband with his small business. I have years of experience as a therapist and a helping professional. What if I combined these two into coaching? And mm. so that's kind of what set me on the trajectory. So I, I, in many ways, I have my husband to thank for my coaching <laughs> career and what I do now. Um, but that's kind of what led me from social work and therapy into coaching. Wow. Wow. And, and it was uh, a need that you needed to fill. You didn't even know what it was. You just knew you needed to do something, right? Yes. I, I had this gut feeling and I've learned over the years to trust my gut. My, mm. I believe each one of us is gifted with intuition. Um, it's not something that only a few people have. We all have it. Some of mm. us are more attuned to connecting with our intuition, more comfortable with allowing it to inform our decisions, but we all have it. And I knew that my intuition was saying, you've got to find a different way. And then when I found coaching, I also had that strong gut response of this is it. Mm. Um, so trusting and following my intuition uh, was a scary thing to do, but I also knew it was a necessary thing to do. Beautiful. Nice. So w when you think about, you could have gone into any, any business adventure. You could have even just worked with your husband, mm -hmm. right? And, and you would have been okay. But you realize that not only can you help him, you can help other people. Yeah. What was that trigger for you? What was that moment when you said, wait a minute, I can do it for my husband, but there's more? I don't know if it was a specific moment mm. as much as it was kind of this cumulative building of this is it, this is it. Um, and honestly, there were some roadblocks and obstacles in the way, some of them external, some of them mm. literally colleagues that I'd worked with who were looking at me like, what are you doing? Why are you <laughs> turning your back on this amazing career you've had in mental health to go into coaching? Like they mm. thought of it as like a downgrade mm. um, because sadly, I think coaching gets maligned or at least misunderstood, um, certainly in the mental health world. And so my colleagues could not believe I was doing this. They thought mm. I was just throwing my career away. So I had some external blocks. And then I started to kind of internalize some of that and ask myself, mm. yeah, what, why am I doing this? And, and does this mean <laughs> I'm not a social worker anymore? Like, what does all of this mean? And so it was in really 
doing that deeper work. And honestly, it was not instantaneous. It took me 18 months mm. to really find my footing in my business, to feel comfortable calling myself a coach. I spent the first 18 months trying to come up with other cute ways to describe myself other than <laughs> coach. Um, you know, because I thought people wouldn't be responsive to it. Uh, and then I realized, no, people are looking for coaching. And if you're not calling yourself a coach, they're not going to find you. Mm. But it was a journey. It was it was a, a long, hard journey of really struggling in my business for those first 18 months until I found my footing. Yeah, yeah. This is why I started Coaching Call. Because for me, you know, I've been coaching basically my whole life and different aspects of coaching whether it was gymnastics, I used to coach swimming, I used to coach gymnastics, I used to martial arts, I've, I've coached people in woodworking, I've coached people in business, I've coached, 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 coached. I still don't call myself a coach, believe it or not, right? Maybe I should start. But for me, it's how can I help you? That was my first understanding that I am, I'm just here to help. Mm -hmm. This is why, why I'm here. So when I used to teach swimming, I used to teach swimming. I used to go in high school. I used to teach swimming to before school started. They allowed us. Um, one of my coaches said, hey, you know, there's a lot of people in the school who don't know how to swim. Being that, you know, you're an early riser, would you mind coming in early and, and just helping me? Like, of course. So we would teach people who didn't, who were terrified of water and within half hour have them doing backstroke in the pool. Wow. And it was, it was because of, obviously he guided me and taught me how to do it, but it was such a joy to see someone who was terrified. I mean, terrified of water being able to just move around in it and not, and at least if they ever fall off a boat or anything like that, at least they could survive, right? Yeah. So it was that survival instinct that we instilled in them. But then I also used to go in high school. I was on the gymnastics team. I used to go to a different high school and teach there. So for me, it was always helping people. And somebody would say, hey, how do you do this? Oh, this is how you do it. So for me, it was always, how can I help you? How can I make your experience better? And so when the pandemic hit and I got a thousand emails a day about all these coaches who've never been coaches, but they wanted 997 or, you know, buy my program. Meanwhile, they don't, they've never done anything. They just, I, I get it. They needed to make money. I get that. No, no problem. But then it was interesting when, some of them said, hey, you know, I have a program. I want you to try it out first. Okay. One of them was a program that somebody was charging, I think, $97. And they said, you know, we're going to give it to you for free. Okay. I said, it doesn't hurt. It's not, it's not, it wasn't for me anyway. I said, let me just see what they have. Can I tell you? It was three, th uh, um, three pages on a PDF. And they were selling it for $97. And I said, yeah. wow, this is a shame. How can somebody even think of selling that? And so the more I was going to do a martial arts podcast. And then I said, you know, I love martial arts. 
I've been a martial artist now going on 48 years soon. And I said, as much as I love it, it's a small industry, very tiny compared to coaching. So I said, I want to talk to coaches from all over the world who are doing it, who have experience, not the ones that just started last month, which is no, no problem with that because we all start somewhere, yeah. right? And just like you started, it took you some time. Can you imagine if the day after you decided, you said, I'm going to go on Raphael's show, Coaching Call, you wouldn't have known what to talk about. You wouldn't have known how to help someone. But now you have the experience. And that's why I love this show. Because I get to talk to people like you who are making a difference, who are impacting the world. Because you're not only helping somebody who needs coaching, you're helping other coaches now. So yeah. what made you decide to go in from helping just anybody who's looking for a business coach to helping other coaches? I had a very similar experience that you mm. did, actually. I remember buying a program. Is that why you were smiling so much when I said Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I was like, oh, been there, done that. Mm. Got the receipts, literally. Um, mm. And I remember... I was, I was a brand new coach actually, and I didn't have the money that I wound up spending on this program. And I got into this program and it was all fluff. It was all mm. fluff. And I realized, oh, this person is really good at sales. They should be teaching yes, sales because they're yeah. so good at it. But right. this is not at all what I thought I was getting. And so I felt betrayed. Mm -hmm. I felt duped. I felt stupid, like I had made a mistake. Right. Um, I had to work through my own shame around that uh, and then realize, no, you know what? Like, this happened to me and it shouldn't have. And I want to make sure that this doesn't happen to another person. So as I was building my business, and it took me a while to really kind of hone in on business coaching for therapists and healthcare providers, the more people I started coaching, the more they started asking me about my experience, how I became a coach, what mm. prompted me to make the switch. And then can you help me become a coach too? And I started getting more and more interest around people who wanted to transition into coaching. So I did some of that work one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it was kind of a blend of coaching and consultation. And then in 2018, I launched my first small group program called From Couch to Coach to help people transition into coaching. And I ran that program several times. And then it kind of developed into a membership program. And then throughout all of this over the years that this was developing, people kept saying to me, you should really like teach people how to be coaches. You should have a, a formal program, a certification program. And I kept saying, no, no, no. I mm. mean, there's so many out there already, you know, why, why do I need to add to it? But everyone said, no, you should really do this. And then finally, um, in 2020, when everything you know, when the world basically shut down and, and we were going through our own reckoning uh, as here in America, but I think also in the world, mm -hmm. I realized, no, I, I do have something to share here. My voice does matter. And now more than ever before, we need talented, trained, ethical coaches out there supporting people because there's so much divisiveness right now. There's so much pain. People are hurting so badly. And there are people out there who want to show up and support them and they don't know how. And even when they're coming from a good place, they may not be uh, providing that support in a way that is most effective. Sometimes it's even unethical. Mm. So I wanted to be a part of the solution. 
I wanted to help reinforce the coaching profession by providing ethical, evidence-based quality instruction. And so that's ultimately what led me to start my certification program. And so it, it wound up being a pivot away from business coaching. I still do some business coaching because I love yeah, it and I never yeah. want to give it up. But most of what I do now is training and education. So I can help people become coaches if they're brand new to it or if they're looking to get a credential. Or I can help people continue to master their coaching skills and build yeah. strong coaching businesses through continuing education. And, uh, and I just, I love it. I love that I now have a business where I can still coach and I can teach and I can mentor and I can support and I can do all the things. And uh, I just feel really grateful to have landed where, where I have. That's beautiful. And I, I love your, um, your, your website, uh, coachwithclarity.com because we should be clear as to the type of coach that we are, right? So that people do find you, people do resonate with you because not every coach is going to resonate with everyone, right? Yeah, that's true. And it's, it's okay. In fact, I would say it's the right choice to be mm. really clear about who you are, knowing that you're not going to be for everyone. And so I always tell my people, don't be afraid to turn the wrong people off in order to turn the right people on. Mm. And so if you've got a clear message, maybe it's even a little controversial. Um, it's going to help attract the people who resonate with you and your values and your message. And yes, it may push away the people who don't. And that's a good thing because they're mm. not your people. Yeah. Uh, and we don't want to spend our energy trying to convince and convert people. Uh, it doesn't feel good to try yeah. to be convinced by someone else. Instead, yeah. let's focus on the people who are already kind of aligned with our approach and our beliefs. And let's really pour into them. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that when I have a, a new client, one of the questions that I'm always asking is, are they mentally ready? Mm -hmm. Right? Because if, if in your mind you're not ready to take on this new challenge, then guess what? We're wasting each other's time, aren't we? Yeah. So that's why I have this thing called Heroes Rising Apex. So... I have another show called Heroes Rising and what, because I've interviewed like over 350 coaches so far, which is incredible. I said, you know, I need to bring them all together and I need to, the reason I started coaching call was to get people to know about coaching, to find real coaches like yourself, right? People who are going to provide real value not this fluff that we've been talking about, right? So that's why I decided to do uh, Heroes Rising Apex in New York on July 13th through the 16th because I want to bring all these different amazing coaches together in a, in a venue where people can come and meet them and talk to them in person. And, it, and so many have written books that they can even get a signed book. I mean, I love getting signed books. I mean, so many of the books behind me are signed by some of the authors, which is so cool to me. And of course, I have to read their books because they signed them to me. But it's, it's incredible when someone writes a book and they put their heart and soul into it because I too find that sometimes just reading a book, that's your, that's your coach right there. Maybe it's for that moment right? It's, it's for that couple of hours that you can get to spend with someone 
who has put that energy into coaching you, into helping you, into guiding you, even if you get one deal out of it, right? Man, it is totally worth it. I agree. I believe that every coach benefits from coaching-specific education. Mm -hmm. But what that looks like may look different from coach to coach. And whereas some coaches may want a full-on certified coach training program, that's great. But you can also kind of create your own self-study program with podcasts, with books. Mm. Um, and I, I too, I mean, I, I love, I'm a voracious reader. I love mm. books. Writing my own book was one of the most powerful personal development journeys I've ever been on. Uh, writing a book really forces you to step into who you are, like to mm. step into your expertise, to claim that and say, nope. I know what I'm talking about here and I'm going to walk you through it. Uh, so to quiet all of, all of the voices that are trying to keep you small and silent, mm. uh, writing a book will, will push all of those buttons. Um, and so while, while I'm so grateful that I have the end result that I do in my book, uh, there, there, there were some rocky moments during the process of writing it that mm. I, uh, I wouldn't wish them away because I learned so much from them. But uh, I also hope I don't have to go through them again anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to want a signed copy to put in my bookshelf, but I also want to read it, it, right? Yes. So, but, but here's the thing. What's the name of your book? The name of my book is called Act on Your Business, Braving the Storms of Entrepreneurship and Creating Success Through Meaning, Mindset, and Mindfulness. Wow. So I call those the three M's, Meaning, Mindset, and Mindfulness. They are inspired by a therapeutic approach that I was trained in when I was a therapist called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, or mm. ACT for short. So that's, that's the ACT in the title. It's a nod to that. And it's essentially my take on these fundamental principles and a look at how we can apply them outside the therapy room and in our businesses. Because mm. one of the things I love most about ACT is that its fundamental principles are universally applicable. Mm. They're great as therapeutic tools, but they're really meant to be applied to everyone everywhere. And I was really interested in looking at how we could build stronger businesses that reflect who we are, that mm. we're proud of using these ACT tools. And so that's what the book is all about. I love it. I love it. Can't wait to read it. So w when we think about going through that process, and, and you said it was challenging at times, right? I personally journal all the time. So I have a weird journaling experience that I go through because I use four books to journal into. One is a rough draft. The other one is a review of the rough draft. Then I go to the third book and I highlight everything. And then I go and I put in my final book. So I personally probably have written 90 books, but none of them have been published. And so I had someone recently say to me, what's your first book? And when I started just from the top of my head, tell them about the first book, they're like, I want to read it. I want to read. Oh my God, that's an amazing book. I want to read it. I said, not yet. They're like, why not? And then they kept pushing me, pushing me. I said, because it's not time. Yeah. And so a lot of people, there's a lot of programs out there that if you, they can get you to write your book in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it is. But I, I truly believe that we all need to write books, every single person. But maybe they don't need to be consumed by anyone. 
but your family. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cause we all have a story to tell mm-hmm. and we all have a voice and each voice matters. And so sharing that through a book or, or even a podcast, you know, whatever, right. whatever your, your medium of choice is. Um, I agree with you. I think that's so powerful. And, you know, there is sometimes a pressure to make it public, to make it available for everyone. And maybe not everyone deserves to hear your story mm. yet. Um, yet. So it is okay <laughs> to keep it, to keep it close, right? Yeah. I love that. that that's my favorite word, yet. Yeah. You know, I wish, and I'm sure, you know, your great-great-grandchildren would love to hear your dad's story. So yeah. you need to get him to write about <laughs> his childhood. So I wish I would have known my dad's story. I only know what I saw, but I don't know what, I, what happened before he, I came along. I don't know about my great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandfather. One of them lived to be 113. I wish... I know, right? I wish I would have had something, his diary, something, so I can read and like, maybe what did he eat? What did he do? How did he move? You know, all these different questions that I would love to ask him. And then even like my grand, great-grandmother, grandmother, you know, even my mom, wouldn't it be amazing if we can go back in time and kind of be like a speck on the wall mm-hmm. and see it. So write a book so that your children, great-grandchildren, you're leaving a legacy. Forget the world. Do it for your family, right? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Leaving, leaving that legacy is such a gift to give future generations. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember um, so my grandfather passed away a few years ago and, and I thought I knew him well, you know, and I'd heard a lot of family stories and so mm. forth. But my uncle gave just such a powerful eulogy. And he was telling stories that I'd never heard before. Mm. And actually, I, ha- I was lucky enough to see my grandfather about two weeks before he died. And I brought my oldest son with me to visit him. And it was my oldest son who was asking questions about what did you used to do for a living and wow. how did you get your job? And my grandfather was just sharing all of these stories that, again, I had never heard before. <laughs> right. And so I think for those of us who have living older relatives, ask those questions, mm. invite them to share their stories. And then also to everyone out there, your point is so right. Like, let's document these stories because it does matter. And mm. having access to our family history and lineage is, is such a gift, gift for ourselves, but also the gift that we can share with the, with the generations to come. Yeah. You know, my, uh, my two sisters, uh, they're both professors. They, one wrote a book. Uh, actually, she wrote two books. And then my other sister is right now in the process. She wrote a book. It's going to be in Spanish and English. And she's asking me, because I'm an artist as well, she's asking me to do the artwork for the cover. And no pressure, right? (laughs) When you think about it. So actually, I'm having a conversation with her today because I, I drew a rough draft and see if this is what she had in mind. And she said, perfect. Can we talk? I said, of course. So, but they've told me things about me I didn't know because I was young, Mm -hmm. right? 
like, you know, when or even where the, the places that we lived in, even before or when I was a baby, you know, these are things you don't remember when you're like six months old. You don't know. You don't know what happened or this one, that this happened. You, you have no idea. But it's it's so cool when we can talk to someone. To me, coaching is that, is guiding someone because we've been there. I want a coach who's been there, not one who's only a page ahead of me. And that's what a lot of these coaches came out of the woodwork. I, I, I call them, uh, you know, coaches as roaches because they came out of the woodwork back in 2020. <laughs> so, but... You know, now, hopefully, they've learned their lesson because they've had a few years to hone their skill. And hopefully, they're now a little bit more honest, right? So I'm hoping yeah. that that's what's happening. I constantly get people reaching out to me if they can be on my show. And some people are offended that I'm like, sure, but we need to have a conversation first. They're like, well, I'm so-and-so. I'm like, good for you. I don't know you. Yeah. Or you may be famous. I still want to know you, you know. Yes. So yeah. As as a fellow podcaster, I feel that because we are wanting to create a really powerful experience mm -hmm. for our listeners, for our audience. And I always feel like my listeners put a great deal of trust in me simply by listening to my show and what I have to say. And yeah. I don't want to betray that trust. So if I'm going to invite someone on my show, to your point, I want to make sure that we have a connection, that there's a relationship, because mm. podcasting is just another way to build relationships with people, whether it's the people you're interviewing, whether it's the people who are listening. And those relationships are based on trust and on respect. So yeah. of course, of course, you'd want to establish that relationship <laughs> with someone before they come on your show. Yeah. Um, and I think too that this might be a bit of a generalization, but I think people who are reluctant to do that, it's because they're not interested in a deep relationship. They're interested in a transactional one. What can mm. you do for me? Mm -hmm. um, and that's certainly not the energy I want to bring into my coaching relationships. It's not really the energy I want to bring into any of my any relationships. relationship, right? Yeah. But for coaching in particular, it's, it's, it's less about the, it being transactional and more about it being a deep connection. Mm -hmm. And from that connection, that's where we co-create what's possible for the client. Um, and that's where we can really help the client unlock whatever beauty is within them that they're mm. just waiting to share with the world. And that can be expressed through business, through athletics, through a host of different ways. Uh -huh. uh, and coaching, coaching can be the key that unlocks that. It does. It does. I mean, you and I had a great conversation and I was like, let's do this show. I think I need you on my show, right? <laughs> For sure. So, you know, one of the things that um, I have five shows now, I, I have my newest one launching this Friday. So we're having a launch party. That's exciting. Called, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's called um, Business Prowess, right? And I'm doing it with a young lady from South Africa. So I, I try to be international. But I want to talk about your show. Tell us about your show, because I know you're, you're a fellow podcaster. And I always, anybody who comes on my show who is a podcaster, I want people to go and check out your show. Because you're doing something that I am passionate about. 
I thank you. I feel the same way. I, I, mm. we podcasters, we're, we're a, we're a rare breed. We are. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. Uh, but so I have been the host of the Coach with Clarity podcast for just over three years now. Mm. And, I just, I love podcasting as a medium. I love, I feel like it's such an intimate way to connect with your audience. Like you're literally in their ears, like earbuds, whatever it is. Um, And so the relationships that I've been able to develop with my listeners have been so powerful. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because podcasting is just such a powerful medium. Um, So on the Coach with Clarity podcast, we explore the business and art of coaching. So it's a mix of solo episodes and interviews. And I'm always looking at what ideas, what stories, what topics will really serve my Mm. audience of intuitive, innovative coaches. And so sometimes they'll be a little more business oriented because so many coaches own their own coaching businesses. Mm. And so If what we want to do is serve other people, we have to have a strong foundation in our business in order to do so, in order for it to be sustainable. So I love the business side of things and and looking at that. But you also need to make sure you know how to coach. You know, you can be (laughs) great at marketing and sales and bring Mm. all these people into your business, but then you have to deliver. And Mm. so we also look at that, what it means to be a powerful ethical coach. What are some strategies and tools we can use? And so that's really what we focus on at the Coach with Clarity podcast. I love it. I love it. I I think that that's that's a podcast that every coach should go and check out every you should hopefully get a ton of new followers because i know i'll be following because oh, thank you. oh yeah absolutely because when when we think about a profession like coaching right it and most people still think oh coaching sports no there's more you know there's business coaching there's speaking coaching there's how to write a book there's all these different things. I mean, I've had acting coaches on here, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of different coaches. You know, it's not just sports people. Coaching is about, for me, it's about the way we do something. Because if somebody teaches me how to change a tire, they're my coach. If somebody teaches me how to make food, they're my coach. So everything is, if you can learn it, there's a coach for it. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think too, you know, what I love about coaching is there is, or there can be that instructional component, that teaching Mm. component. And it's also about helping the client figure out their way to do it as well. Mm. So I want them to be inspired by my experiences. I want them to take what I'm offering and then figure out how to make it their own. They don't have to coach the way I do. They don't have to be a carbon copy of me. I want them to be the best coach they can be. And so if that means kind of taking some of my practices, some of my guidance and applying it as is, great. But if it means modifying it a bit so that it really works for them and for their people, even better. Uh, Because at the end of the day, I want everyone being the, the best version of themselves and the best coach they can be, not a watered down version of someone else. Nobody wants that. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. You know, you and I kind of coach the same way because when I, right now I'm I'm coaching uh, instructors, right? And one of the things I'm always telling them, 
this is the mythology. This is how things are done. Now make it yours. Mm -hmm. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah, make it yours. This is the way I do it. And you're welcome to do it too. I said, but you need to differentiate yourself from me, right? So make it yours. And yeah. they're like, I can do that? I'm like, of course, you <laughs> have to do that. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just a little robot. Nobody wants that, no. right? So, you know, even if you're teaching exactly the same thing or you're coaching the exact same thing, how many business coaches are there in the world, right? How about yeah. reading coaches? How about English teachers, right? How many, you know, and, and when we think about the modality of learning or, or the concepts of learning, there's so many different ways of viewing something. There's so many different ways of doing something. And, and you, as a great coach, you're always trying to get your client to make it their own, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Lee, I, I, I want to I wanna touch upon your name before we go. Mm -hmm. Because I, I asked you earlier, and, and how do you say your middle name? And you told me it's Che. And where does that come from? So tell us that story. Yes. So uh, my parents gifted me with the name Lee Shea. Shea is my paternal grandmother's maiden name. So my mm -hmm. father's mother who um, actually her birthday was the day after mine. Oh, we nice. used to spend our birthdays together. Uh, and it usually involved travel because we were living outside the D.C. area and my grandparents live in New Orleans. Mm. Uh, in fact, my entire dad's side of the family is from New Orleans. He was the first generation to live outside the city. Wow. And so Shay is a connection to my roots. It's a connection to that side of the family. Uh, it's, you know, thinking back to our earlier conversation around legacy for me having Shay as a part of my name is a link to my legacy. And, uh, so some of my, some of my family and friends call me Lee Shay. In fact, in college, that's, I went by Lee Shay. Mm -hmm. Um, Lee is a little easier to pronounce. Shay, <laughs> Shay can be a bit of a mouthful. Um, so I answer to both, but to me, it's really important that when I put myself out in the world, whether through my book, through podcasts, through my work, I want the Shay to be there because it's my way of saying this is this is a part of who I am. This is my this is my roots. This is my origin. And also, I would not be here today without my family behind me. And mm. so, it's just a reminder that like this, it's the continuation of that lineage. And and I'm really really proud to be a part of it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that. You know, and and when we talk about legacy, yeah, it's it's that connection, right? That we can we can make. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. Do me a favor, mark your calendar. I need you in New York. I'll do and, my best. <laughs> July 13th through the 16th, because I would love for other coaches just to meet you and understand that not only do they have value, but maybe they're looking for a better way to connect with their clients. Mm -hmm. And I know that you would definitely help them. So we need you in New York, young lady. Well, thank you. I'll, I'll do my <laughs> best, I promise. <laughs> okay, great. Do me a favor. Hang on. We're going to say goodbye to everybody. So any, 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 any words of advice for somebody who is, wants to transition from 
whatever it is they're doing and want to become a coach? I firmly believe, I really believe this, that anyone can coach. Mm. If you have the desire to serve others, if you believe in the possibility of change, that people can change, mm. and you're willing to invest the time and energy in becoming the best coach you can be. However that looks, whatever that educational path looks like for you, really investing in it so that when you're going out and serving others, you're doing so from an informed place. Mm. If you're willing to put in that time, then you can coach and you can bring all of the experience and training and wisdom that you've acquired over the years and through your current career. There's a place for that in the world of coaching as well. So if you have that gut sense that you are meant to be a coach, honor it, honor it. And um, there's so many resources out there to support you. Yeah, love it. Love it. Great advice. And thank you again. And have an exceptional day. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right.